Hi, you're listening to Offsite, a series of interviews with theatre makers who work in unusual, site-specific, site-responsive and non-traditional spaces. This series was recorded over two weeks in December 2020 and is supported by the Arts Council. I'm Owen Winning, and in this episode I'm chatting with Donald Gallagher. by Donald Gallagher. Um, as co-founder and co-director of Asylum, uh, Donald works extensively in the development and presentation of new Irish writing and in pioneering new forms of theatre. He recently co-adapted and directed The Big Chapel, a promenade participative reimagining of Thomas Kilroy's Booker-nominated novel, using an entire town as its stage. In association with the uh, Kilkenny Arts Festival, supported by the uh, Abbey Theatre, it was nominated for four Irish uh, Times Theatre Awards in 2019, including Best Production. Donald, thanks very much for speaking with me. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's good. Uh, it's great. Yeah, it's lovely to see you again. Um, yeah, what, was the, uh, what was the first play you ever saw? What was the first play I ever saw? That is, uh, I was thinking about that, actually. Um, I think I was actually in one before I saw one in primary school. We okay. did a production of um, Cock Robin. I had the title role. Um, I was shot dead, um, literally as the curtains opened, and I had to lie on the floor for the entire duration. I was I was exemplary, apparently. I was really good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that was about it. Oh, then I was a tree in Sherwood Forest slightly later. Um, I was an excellent tree as well. Um, but uh, since then, it was only after that. Then it was uh, mostly kind of um, my folks would bring me to um, uh, amateur drama festival in Holy Cross in, in, in Turles, near where I grew up. Mm. So my dad had been an actor years ago in Waterford, kind of on the amateur sector and a mm-hmm. director as well. Um, so I suppose it was kind of there. But we didn't really go to shows much. Like there wasn't any sort of Christmas pantos or anything like that. But we did go to the drama festival a few times and see, you know. Uh, a mixed bag of stuff and I was always vaguely interested in it but it was never kind of my thing and then when my dad retired my mum was worried about uh, divorce proceedings uh, so she uh, wanted him to join the local drama group and she convinced me to go with him and I joined um, yeah. What age were you then? Uh, that was when I was like um, I'd say it was about 18 right. yeah, was yeah. Um, but I got a college place then a week later so I left and didn't have anything to do with theatre then for about uh, say five or six seven years and then when really? I, went back, I went back as a tour student to UCC doing uh, social science um, and I joined the drama group there and, um, and that's kind of where it took off for me in, in the granary in Cork uh, mm. it was just an amazing bunch of people around there at the time you know mm-hmm. and uh, I was in a production of uh, um, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest and I think I drove the director demented um, mm. uh, Mervyn Horgan <laughs> and um, and then somebody asked me, would I direct a play for the following term? And I said, I wouldn't have a clue. And he said, neither does anybody else. Uh, so that was it. That's kind of opened the door for me. But it was an amazing time because there was a, we, had a, we had a really nice sort of state-of-the-art theatre, but there wasn't really 
um, there wasn't an undergraduate theatre course, there was a postgraduate theatre course. Mm-hmm. So we had this kind of playground and there was a lot of people just sort of learning off each other. And there was an amazing bunch of people around at the time, like, you know, so it was like Tom Conway, Tom Creed, um, Ursula Sarma, uh, Paul O'Donoghue, Siobhan Nikina, all these people who, who, who are still working professionally in theatre mm-hmm. were all there at the same time and all mm-hmm. kind of studying not necessarily studying drama, but studying English and other things, you know. So there was this really fertile ground there at the time. And then I was over as manager and kind of, he sort of, he upped the stakes for everybody and kind of, like at that time, you know, the, the pinnacle was to do, um, was to get your show into ISDA, like, and he said, well, would you not think a bit broader, like, you know, in terms of, and he started bringing shows to Edinburgh and then he started the Cork Fringe Festival, which was brilliant. Fringe to what, Ali? <laughs> <laughs> So he's having all of these really, really interesting shows over from Edinburgh and, and presenting them, you know, in September of the, of the kind of academic year. And just sort of opened our eyes to the possibility of what kind of theatre might be, you know. Um, and it was just a really exciting time. It was amazing. And then one summer he started a, a, an ensemble, like basically, uh, we were all hired at like, I don't know, I think some people worked out the numbers at one stage. I think we were all getting about five pence an hour or something. But we did six shows back to back. There was about 10 of us in the group. And mm. you were either in one show or directing another show or doing something else on another show, all simultaneously back to back. So we had mm. um, six shows that ran that summer, the summer of love, uh, all, all shows on, on the theme of love. And uh, it was just an amazing time, you know. Mm. Um, and then from then I just kind of, after I graduated, I actually did a postgrad in college, mainly just so I could stay in college and spend really? another year in the yeah. And uh, after that I said, right, I'll give it one year to um, you know, see if I could actually make a living out of it. Mm. And uh, kind of feeling that ever since, like, you know, one more year. One, one more year, year at a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what were you, did you have a plan, like, before getting involved in drama? Like, what, what were you planning on doing for a living? I wandered the earth for a while, I suppose. I was I worked a lot with, with kind of young offenders and stuff prior to that. Kind of, I, I spent a couple of years abroad and worked in Los Angeles working with them. Um, Kids and care and stuff, and it did a bit of that in Cork as well. So, but I had actually gone back to college to study social science because I didn't have a qualification um, that was mm. pertinent. I actually had a job in Los Angeles uh, for a year, and they offered me a promotion, and then they suddenly realised I didn't have a qualification. <laughs> I better get one. <laughs> so I came back to Ireland to get one, um, and that was when I started in UCC, and that just kind of changed the path for me entirely. Mm. Um, and then when uh, just when I was graduating, uh, Ali was leaving the granary and they were looking for an interim manager. So um, so I took on that for, I ran the granary briefly. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They was, don't, was, there's there's no chapter in the history of granary uh, for some reason. Uh, uh, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I was not a good theatre venue manager. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was like, it was not a good idea for anybody. <laughs> It was great. I was like, because at that time, Gurney was a was a was a, an independent department at UCC. So I was on head of department wages for one brief glorious year. <laughs> but uh, it's good fun, but it, I wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a good idea for me, really. But um, mm. but it was around the same time when we had started um, Asylum as well. Seth and Gerald Grady had kind of started the the, the company around uh, maybe a bit before that. Um, the production of Bob Madonna, which the two of us had, we'd found the script by accident in, 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 in up in the studio. I said, Oh, this looks so fun. And uh, we it's, it's originally a six hander, and we had done it with the two of us playing all the parts in it. And it was a lovely idea, but it made an absolutely ridiculous 
notion of sort of directing it and being in it at the same time. Uh, I remember we had, we had rehearsed for about two weeks and we showed it to Ali and, and uh, awful, awful car crash, like, you know. And, uh, but afterwards he said, and he came up with some really, really good suggestions. Like, well, you could do this, you could do that, you could do that, you could do that. And the two of us walked out the door and went, we really got to get him to direct it. So we just walked straight back in and said, will you direct us first, please? Um, and he did. And, and uh, that, that went really well. And we kind of, we did it that year and we toured it the following year. And then we watched Edinburgh the year after and ended up going to San Francisco with it. And, I think that's the kind of what started Asylum really, was that, was that kind of, that relationship with, with, with Ali and Jer. And then from then on, it was just kind of, you know, just, just keep going and see how far we can get, like, you know. Fantastic. Um, can you tell me a bit about Jonah in the Whale? Jo that's Jonah in the Whale. Jonah in the Whale. Yeah. Was a, this is a long convolution story. Um, so, uh, and actually this links into kind of the, our whole sort of, I suppose, introduction to site-specific theatre. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Maeve was in Kilkenny at the time, the local arts officer, Mary Butler, had invited this company called Talking Birds to come over uh, from Coventry to do a piece based on the closing down of the Co-op Mart in Kilkenny. And the Co-op Mart was, um, you know, the, the notion behind the Co-op Mart is that they were owned by all the people who go there, you know. Um, and she just wanted to mark the occasion of the closing of that building. There was there was a new big fancy one being built, but they, she wanted to mark that. So they came over and they were looking for local actors and, and theatre makers to work with them. And Mae was invited. And she told me, and I when I heard the name Talking Birds, I went, I really want to be part of this because I'd seen a production of theirs in actually the Cork Fringe 10 years before. And I right. always stuck um, a piece called Black Box, written by Nick Walker. And um, <clears throat> so I said, I, I emailed them immediately and said, I'll, do anything to work with you guys sounds amazing so um so we worked on that and basically the the, the show was um the principle of the show was that the audience came in and they were the cattle uh, the show was called the last lot and they were uh, when they arrived they were the first lot of cattle to be sold in march so they were hunted in by the the ushers and, and they went through the physical journey of the march but also through the history of the march and all the different things over the 50 years it was nearly it was closing after 50 years um uh, and each of the scenes was done like so you had the, the auction rooms um in the mart where where, where, where the audience were being the cattle so the audience were in the in the middle and then you had the the the, the people the farmers usually said became kind of like the where the actors were and on one stage that became the dull debate on the cooperative movement and another point they were being um they were being called for foot and mouth and stuff but it was an amazing experience and, and mm. it was based on real stories from the history they had done a friend of ours Aton, had been asked to do research on the history so during all that i had looked at their website and i saw this thing called the whale which is this aluminium whale in the trailer and i sent it to um deborah digman time who was director of Kinsale um, arts week and said this would be lovely for Kinsale and thought no more about it and then I think it was on the opening night of the, um, the last lot, and Nick Walker came to me and says, um, General, I've been meaning to talk to you. Uh, he says, we've got this quail, you see. And I says, oh, yeah. I said, I saw it on your website. He says, oh, yes, uh, we're bringing it to Kinsale. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, I actually sent that link to him. Oh, he didn't thank you very much. She said, uh, uh, we'd like you to be in it. So inadvertently, I got him the gig in Kinsale, and he had given the gig to me without either of us knowing. So we wow. had to turn around. That's and uh, it was basically one person show in inside the whale. The, 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 the whale would pull up and a big mouth would open and an audience member would come in and sit down on a stool and the mouth would close and a curtain would open and inside was a submariner uh, inside called Jonah um, with a squeeze box and he was sending a desperate um, uh, three minute um, 
uh, Truman, Truman Show, basically, and mm. sending a, 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 what you call it, a message to his loved one. And you, it was in the form of a song. So you sang it to the audience member. We gave them the message on a little origami whale. It's a beautiful show, really, really lovely. And we we bought it, they brought it over to Ireland and I ended up driving out to Ireland with this thing and bringing it because they didn't want to bring it back to England. So I ended up looking after this whale for an entire summer and bringing it to various festivals. Um, uh, yeah, it was a lovely piece. It was wow. really, really nice. It was a really interesting thing to do as a performer as well because it gave me opportunities to perform. So it was great with one audience member. Like uh, How many, like say, how many audience members would you do in, in a session? So there would be, we would go in pairs and we would take, we would do an hour each, like, and you do an hour inside and then an hour outside. And then there's usually three of us who would break up, whatever. So you'd yeah. do maybe 20 or 25 shows back to back, depending on what kind of demand was there. Sure. We did it in London once, there was a massive queue outside for it. And uh, it was a show that was beautiful, but it didn't merit an hour waiting in a queue for it. <laughs> it was one of those kind yeah, of shows. Yeah, yeah. Having to do an hour for it kind of felt difficult, like, you know, but. Um, mm. But um, yeah, it was gorgeous. It was just really, Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so you're a theatre director is how I would like know you primarily. I mean, you have many hats, but um, how do you go from being an actor to becoming a freelance director in Ireland? So, yeah, I suppose I think I, when I started out in college, I really wanted to act and I kind of realised very quickly that I wasn't particularly good at auditions. Um, and I'm an okay actor at the best of times, but I'm a bit of a ham. Um, and I suppose when I started directing, I, I really kind of, um, I, I just kind of, I, I suppose I just developed a passion for that, being in the, the middle of something and being in the centre of other people's creative ideas. I've always seen that as been a kind of, a, literally a, a directing role, like, you know, that you're getting as many people's, um, thoughts and ideas and opinions together like you know um uh, in terms of as a career again i'd never i hadn't actually trained in in theater formally like so it was kind of um but again at that time in cork it, it was very few of us who really had so it was sort of kind of it was real on the job kind of training like you know you learned as you went um and then it was just kind of i suppose just just kind of going from 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 one show to the next, like, you know, yeah. and sort of slowly building experience as you went and slowly building up knowledge as you went and, and, and uh, yeah, very much figuring out as well. One thing I would have loved to have done would, would have been to, to, to do for a couple of events in my life to kind of go back and actually spend time studying it. But um, I don't know, I suppose I've always been more interested in kind of on the job, kind of doing it as you do it, like, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and what interests you in a project? Like what, what, what is it about a text or a story that makes you want to get involved? That's a very good question. Um, a lot of the stuff, I suppose, primarily if it's got something to say to the wider society, that that, that to me seems kind of important. I, I kind of have this weird relationship with, with, with theatre and the arts, like I've been having these conversations with Sloan Lowe and Leeds about um, how can a theatre company be useful? Uh, what do you offer? You know, I mean, for, for the vast majority of people, you, 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 your career in Ireland certainly is, is sort of dependent on on state support and, and, and spending good taxpayers' money on, on, on your job and your career. So I, I suppose I kind of feel an obligation that whatever we do has a value in terms of 
asking the right questions, you know, uh, on a societal level. Because I suppose this kind of comes from, from having studied social science and sort of that, but I'm just really interested in how structures, societies are structured and put together and what is the role of the artist within that has always been a question for me. So if there's, if there's something in a script that is asking the right questions at the right time of society, and in recent years I've been really, mostly because of um, my wife Maeve who works in, in um, inclusive theatre, like, you know, that the notion of how can theatre be more inclusive, how can it um, uh, respond to what a society needs or a group within society so that it is as, um, as open and inclusive as it possibly can. I suppose that's one of the things in recent years that's really, really, um, that's really struck me. I mean, initially it was just more about story and writing, but in, in, in more recent years it's been about what, what is the point of us, you know, uh, sort of answering that question for myself, like, and, and, um, and the more we've gone, I think, with, with sort of, this, with the working calendar, that notion of, of uh, offering a voice to people who might not have a voice in, 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 in theatre in general, and also getting as many people as possible interested and passionate about theatre, because I suppose I started at a time when I had the perception that theatre was very much a, a kind of, um, a class-based thing that it was, you know, this thing was just making theatre for the Blue Rinse Brigade in Dublin before, that it was a certain age cohort and a certain um, uh, socioeconomic kind of group that was going to theatre. How do we make that uh, relevant and accessible to um, to as many people as possible? Partly to motivate a self-interest so that that actually be an audience. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a lot of reasons there. There's a lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Great. Um, you know, sometimes you will actually just create shows yourself. Um, for example, uh, you created Cleaner with Maeve in 2006. Um, you described that show as Asylum's first off-site production. Could you tell me a bit about the development of it and how it came to be? Sure, yeah. I, I remember the genesis was actually the night I met Maeve I met her at, at a friend's wedding. When we were chatting about theatre. She had um, she was started working in Kick Out recently, just before that. Like, but uh, in, in the middle of message, she showed me this this beautiful trick with a with a, a sweeping brush and a and a coat, uh, creating this sort of alternate kind of a, a non puppet puppet. Um, and I was just fascinated by that. I said, we could make a show about that. And I think within a week, we'd been offered um, uh, a space to do it in 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 Kilkenny Arts Festival as part of a, a bigger program in a house. Um, and I don't know how it came about. I think we were offered a kitchen, and, and then the whole show sort of evolved around the notion of a cleaning lady in a kitchen um, and, and animating her. So we kind of started playing around with um, with, <laughs> with cleaning products, basically, like you know, toilet brushes and, and, and sweeping brushes and mops and all those things. And it, it developed really organically. Um, as I say, it was like Mabel and I just met, so there was this kind of sort of explosion of creative energy. And I remember we were invited. Her mom had a residence on in this year and she invited us to come and I said well we've got a show we've got to put this thing together she said well come and do it in this year I said well, where would we work I said we could work in the theatre there and I said well they let us I'm sure they will that'd be grand and I don't even know if we emailed them beforehand I think we might have emailed us any chance we could borrow the theatre um, uh, but we did we spent a beautiful glorious hot summer in in, in this year uh, in, in the little shoebox theatre there uh, working all week and we had left the door open all week so people would randomly wander in and out 
And by the end of it, we actually said, oh, well, let's do a showing. So we, we put a poster in the shop on the Saturday and we did a showing of the piece. And it was amazing. <laughs> the house was packed and it was always really, really, Ms. Mum had her exhibition open the same day. So we said we would do it at the same time. And it just this amazing audience came into it and kind of gave us lots of really good feedback on it. And we ended up doing it then as a kind of a show for kitchens. Um, and there was one beautiful show. We were asked actually to do it afterwards. We've done it in a couple of festivals. And then somebody whose mom was recovering from cancer and couldn't go see the show, she asked would we come and do it in her home. So we devised then to actually play in their home. It was just a little, it was like a 25 minute piece um, that was adaptable to whatever location we were in. And that was a really, really interesting kind of learning as well in terms of the notion of taking theatre into that context of somebody's own home. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, the piece wasn't specific to any particular home, but the notion of it happening the idea was it was this higher cleaning room. She basically starts robbing stuff around the kitchen or whatever. Um, but also starts telling about her own kind of history. And again, it was that notion of this was, I suppose, during the boom when 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 lots of wealthy people had foreign cleaners coming in to clean their houses and, and they were kind of this un um unrecognized you know people with inner lives. So I was just kind of sort of fascinated with that idea. Um, and the character evolved out of that. I suppose a lot of that would have come from um I mean, may have come up in, in, in the, the world of the Lamberts, kind of um, puppetry being kind of something that she had. Uh, I remember her saying at one stage she was very disappointed when she saw live theatre because people could do things that puppets had done. She'd grown up watching puppetry yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so I suppose that was uh, that was where that came from. And, and later on, um, uh, we did a show called Red Lola, which again was, was using a similar kind of idea of. Um, this idea of using the human body as a puppet but it was something that really fascinated me and I think in, uh, and for us as well as a company it was just a really really interesting way to explore I mean I think Red Lone was in the best shows we ever did um, and kind of was looking to follow up with something in the same line but I suppose it was just going down little avenues and, and, and finding out what we wanted to do I remember we were after Red Lola we were saying so is this what your company does now like you know um, um because we'd started off doing like, you know, in the world shows and everything like that. And, and it was kind of, I remember somebody sort of vaguely looking down at us and saying, this isn't what you do. And we were struggling with that for quite a while and, uh, and eventually going, actually, no, we do what we do when we find our, you know, we, we, we like the company has evolved and changed over the years. And I, I kind of, I did have a brief moment wondering, oh, this is inconsistent with what we do. And, and you have to kind of set out your stall and say, this is what you do. But actually, I think it's been a far more interesting journey when, we have gone down little different avenues and, and found different ways and it's led us to where we are now in terms of the way we work like so mm. um uh, uh, kind of struggling with on the one hand people trying to fit you in a box and on the other hand trying to explore as many boxes as you can like you know yeah um so the same uh the same year that that cleaner um was first put on. Um, Kirkadurka produced Wojciech, uh, Playgroup produced The Train Show, Performance Corporation produced Drive By. Like, was there, is this just because I'm researching offsite theatre and like this strikes me as like a lot of output? Um, was this like, was, was the idea that, you know, you could put on theatre anywhere and everywhere and uh, audiences would come to it? Was that kind of prevalent at the time? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Particularly being in Cork at the time, I mean, Cork Dork was all, you know, that they had started doing that work um, way back even in, in, in the jail in Cork. And um, 
uh, and Sir Henry stayed in the Clockwork Orange and stuff like that. So it was a thing that had kind of entered the consciousness. And I, I suppose I, I, that really resonated with me in terms of that notion of, of if people aren't coming into theatres, which I think there is a sense of, you know, people are, are kind of excited to it by them, then bringing the work outside um, and bringing it to other places, that to me made a lot of sense, like, you know, mm. and, and, um, and I think that, yeah, the, 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 the potential for, uh, for reaching people in a different way, I think was really, really interesting as well. So, yeah, hmm. I suppose it was, it was a bit of a lot of going on. Um, so can you tell me a bit about uh, Six by Sundown? Um, was it a commission or was it an idea from the company or? It was, um, it was an invitation. So after we had done the last lot and, and the whole experience of, of doing that show, um, and that, again, it was that idea. I remember coming out of that and there was, the audience was, we did four shows in one day, basically. And that was it, because it was the one day we had access to the building. Mm-hmm. And, and the audience was half and half, um, half and half sort of theatre folk and, and arty cultural kind of people, and half farmers who had been in, in, in the, um, in the mart, and I remember this old guy, he's 80, he's down from the hills, who, um, as, as we were coming out, all of the actors were in pens on, on the sides, and the audience come down through, and we sort of chat to them as they go, and one poor old fella in tears beside me after the experience of it, and he had been there the day that the mart opened, and, and this was the day the mart closed, and he spent a lot of his life there, and he would come to the mart, like, uh, you know, once a month, not to buy or sell anything, but just to hang out with people, because yeah. that was... That, culture and the social outlet like you know so I suppose that idea of being able to touch people in, in that kind of a really uh, meaningful way it was really interesting but then um, so at Six by Sundown the, 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 the workhouse in Callan um, uh, there's, there's a fairly intact uh, workhouse in Callan that has been renovated um, three part, one part of it was the civic offices um, for the county council and the back ward which on the original plans, all the workhouses are the same plans, they're they're the same architectural plans. Um, And on the plans, the back ward is known as the ward for um, uh, uh, fools, imbeciles and epileptics, which is literally what's written on the plans. Um, And at this stage, the back ward had been turned into a Camp Hill community and Camp Hill had um, had a a community in the back there. And the middle section building was semi in ruins, Still intact, like on you know, the roofs and tack and all of that, but it was it was sort of semi derelict. And Patrick Lydon, who was um, uh, in campus, had seen um, Six by Sundown, and there was plans at the time to build a health centre for Callan on the site. And he had suggested that we mark the history of the building um, before that happened. Um, mm. To very interesting in in, in, in theatre generally, like you know. So we were invited to do something, and uh, we started our research in Aton Hulan. Families in Cal, and she started doing kind of local research and finding out about the building. And one of the things we found out was that uh, Thomas Kilroy, who had grown up across the road in, in, in Cal, from the workhouse, had played there as a child in the 50s in, in Egan's Picture House and then go and reenact scenes from movies in the workhouse. Mm. And everybody spoke about it being this rich, um, imaginative playground, and they had great love for the space. Like, you know, and we were fascinated by the notion of, of during the famine. The Callum workhouse had the highest um, child mortality rate of any workhouse in Ireland. There was over a thousand children died there within one year. Oh, the notion of within a hundred years that space becoming gone from a place where childhood could barely exist 
to a place of, of kind of rich imagination. Um, and that became sort of the starting point. And there was a lot of other stories because the work has gone through many different iterations um, during its lifetime. So that was our basis for inspiration. We, we got some funding to spend a week in the, in the space. And well, on the first morning we went in, we went into what used to be the old boys' ward. There's no windows, we had a super sear gas and 17 layers of clothes and put all our paper and research stuff stuck it up on the wall the first morning. And I went wandering down a corridor um, into what was the county council offices. There was no uh, differentiation in the building at the time. Probably shouldn't have been in there, but there was not to say otherwise. And I started opening doors and I opened one door and inside there was these plastic toy boxes, um, different colors stacked, 3D, eight, 10 high. And I opened one of them and inside was a human skull and bones and discovered that all of these boxes were full of human bones. We had no idea that they were there. And what had happened was uh, in Kilkenny City, McDonough Junction, which is now the shopping centre, had been also a workhouse. And when they were um, excavating that site, they had discovered a, a mass burial ground there. And all the bones had been taken out three years before, had gone to Dublin for extensive um, forensic archaeological research kind of stuff, and had come back and they were stored in this office, uh, waiting to be reinterred in McDonough Junction, which is where they are now. But we had no idea that they were there. Um, and, and, and discovering these on the morning that you're going in to do a piece of research about the famine. And, and you know, for all of us, oh, the famine is there and it's something that exists in your sort of history and it's there, wherever that was kind of thing. But actually to be confronted with, you know, 200 human remains that it just, uh, it was extraordinary. Um, it was an extraordinary morning. I remember Alan Coonan was what we had a visual artist, a writer, um, Aton was kind of a historian, and myself and Maeve, um, and Kieran Ruby. And I mean, we just sat in the room. We actually took out one of the boxes and put it in the middle of the room, and we said absolutely nothing for, I'd say, about an hour and a half. Just standing there just kind of taking that in like you know so that really really informs the the whole experience of of, of making the show but um so then when it came to me when we, so a year later then when we when we started on the script um at the time again we were very keen to have as much um uh, sort of community engagement as possible and one of the things that we kind of decided very early on was that um there was a there would be professional actors and a community cast, but it would be the professional actors supporting the community cast because this was a local story. It was mm. related to a lot of people who lived in, and, 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 and worked in, in that space. And it was their story. And that rather than a community cast being a supporting cast, that the professional actors were supporting the community cast. And it, it's, mm. it sounds like semantics really, but it, it was kind of really, really important uh, for us. And, and we kind of chose actors on that basis as well. And people who would be, I suppose, um, would understand that um, and we were very fortunate in the people that, that, that did come on board um, and the experience of doing that and that was would have been I suppose our first proper really off-site production like you know and mm. all the, the nightmares and headaches that go with that and all the magic as well there was a point at one stage during production where uh, Maeve and her, her dad worked in the design David Lambert um, and, and she decided that everything we need is in the building so whenever there was, there was panic, you say, whatever we need, it's going to be here somewhere. And we go rooting around in some place and we'll find it. And that, that became almost like a, a mantra to the production, like, you know, uh, listening to the building um, and, and, and conversing with the building and, and the building conversing back, like, you know. Um, 
and that really and, and were you kind of given free reign inside the building to a certain degree uh, we were given a, a, an awful lot of support um like camp hill is an amazing organization they had they, they would have had like small armies of volunteers who would come in whenever you know because a lot of it was dark, so we had to clear the whole area and and we had to get you know an audience i think the audience was about 80 and and the the, the, sh the, the narrative show the show's narrative went through time and through the space of the building as well and through the whole site um and following that so that had to be made uh, accessible and mm -hmm. a lot of people in in campus would have um would have physical disabilities as well so we actually had to make this thing safe to bring uh, 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 an audience through each like like you know mm -hmm. uh, and we didn't have a massive budget for it so a lot of it was kind of improvising and, and figuring it out on the spot like you know but uh, like i said with the with campbell support uh, it was possible to do that because say you had this this kind of small army who came and, and, and helped out whenever you needed them like you know we also put together a kind of a, a youth theater when we started rehearsals we did about six weeks rehearsals but for the first week two weeks um it was just um just the teenagers who right. were doing so we did all the blocking and devising with the teenagers with the understanding that when the professional actors arrived they would hand over the blocking and the and the the, the, the to get to them so that, that the ownership was in reverse. So then your professional actors coming in going, oh right, um, that sense of ownership was already there um, uh, with the teenagers from the start, and that was amazing. I mean, uh, probably slightly discombobulating for some of the actors initially, but actually I think they really appreciated and respected it as it went on because they could see that's what it was about mm. um and for teenagers brilliant because there was a complete and utter ownership over it like you know yeah. i remember there was one kid with, um, who was sort of throwing rocks over the gate at one stage and um or it was over the wall like you know sort of giving hassle like and um so we said, oh, gotta close the gate like keep him out and uh, we said no uh, bring him in uh, so we brought him in and made him head of security and uh, it was a kid around 12 like you know and he was fantastic you know, the amount of work he did for Sasha once we opened the gate to him like you know mm -hmm. I got two of his mates and they looked after everything and, and by the end of the week we had, we had we had hay bales for seating at one stage that had to move from one space to another and they became really really obsessed about kind of you know oh we, we get the hay bales moved in three minutes or whatever so it was that kind of level of once you started that was a real learning thing as well is that rather than closing the gate opening it um, and uh, and whoever the ones who were you know if you're if you I, I suppose it was that kind of thing is if somebody's going to be an antagonistic force to what you're trying to do uh, to make them part of it rather than try to shut them out um, and that gamble is what's paid off but it was a real learning thing as well in terms of engaging with the people that you're making because I suppose for us particularly with sundown it was as much about the the participants as it was about the audience because at that stage the participants on any one show were equal in number to an audience like you know mm. so yeah there was an obligation that the show be bloody good like you know um and be the best possible show we could make but it was also important that the experience for the, the makers um both community and professional cast would be uh would be an, a, a really amazing experience as well mm. like, you know. fantastic um I suppose uh, it sounds like then that you you took a lot of learnings from that and uh, put it towards um, Bridge Street will be. Um, I really enjoyed listening to the um, the documentary um, from KCLR, um, and I'll, I'll put a link to it below. Um, 
you, yeah, you get a sense of like there was a huge amount of development and, and uh, collaboration on that project. Could you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, it was amazing. I had been um, I've been filling in an Equinox at the time, um, uh, Maeve's um, Maeve Direct's company in, in KCAT, um, which is an inclusive um, uh, ensemble of actors. And one day, Jim and Gary were two members of the company were talking at Bridge Street. There's a really narrow street in in, in Callum, um, with the footpaths are very narrow and steep, but difficult to to um, navigate, particularly at that time when there was traffic and cars and stuff on it. And Jim and Gary would have a bit of limited mobility themselves, like you know, what I, I mean, Gary could be one day and say, It's a lovely street, uh, but it's a bit awkward getting up and down. We should do something about it. Um, we should do a show, and uh, so that kind of starts the whole thing. And okay, so we started talking to people locally, and we met one guy. And this was around the time just after the sort of the economic collapse, but it turned out one of the local guys owned about seven or eight buildings on the street mm-hmm. um and i suppose it was on <laughs> he, he, he basically the bank owned most of them at that stage but mm-hmm. um he was uh, at that stage having to divest himself of it but he had a son who was also in the visual arts in the so he became sort of one of our biggest allies so he gave us access to a building on the street and at the same time um what's now workhouse union uh, at that time um they were working on sort of architectural um, engagements in town as well. So we discovered that we were kind of, I'm going to have to say an elephant. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, so Jimmy, who owned all those properties, he gave us access to one, which was in semi-derelict. And the idea was that we would open a cafe. Uh, there was a local festival on each year, and Piano Festival, um, to collect stories about the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we built a cafe inside in this semi-derelict, it was, I think it would have been, so when we were interested, bringing a lot of people with disabilities into a building site. But uh, but we opened this cafe um, and we offered free tea and coffee and cake in exchange for a story of the history of Bridge Street. Um, uh, it became just kind of a chill out place and relaxed area. And Equinox, one of their superpowers is um, is their ability for small talk. Uh, it mm. became just one of the most beautiful places to hang out in because um, the guys were running the cafe every day in shifts and they would chat to anyone and people were just coming in and shooting the breeze and kind of remembering the history of the place. So again, it was that idea of kind of, um, uh, it was a really lovely way of engaging with the local community because the streets at this stage now had been pretty much empty. Uh, classic story of kind of um, sort of, decaying of a town basically a, a bypass road had happened and prior to that there had been too much traffic it had been the main road between mm. Watford and Dublin for a long time um, big trucks couldn't get through eventually by the 80s the place was crumbling because of all the traffic mm. and they built a bypass and as soon as the bypass was then there was a sort of a slow decline and by the time before we did the show there was only like two businesses left in the entire street that were still functioning like, wow. but it was at the first that it had been the economic hub of the town and everything had revolved around that short little street like you know mm-hmm. so there was a lot of rich rich history there and a lot of love for the street and its architecture is quite lovely and um, so i suppose being able to tap into that and people coming in and getting excited about that idea of, of remembering the street and you know thinking about its history so at the same time then um uh, the guys in the workhouse had been looking, talking to architect studio weave. So that was our first time working with a, like a completely different discipline, like, you know, um, and, and I suppose the, the, the part of that was like a finding a language, finding a common language with, with architects about um, how we would approach this thing, like, you know, but uh, basically ended up with, with um, uh, the following year then after the cafe, we 
all those stories were collected and turned into a kind of a, a narrative history of the street that kind of um, uh, sort of transcended the history of the street. So you, you had all these versions of time happening uh, on top of each other, layered, um, and the audience then. Uh, one of the things about doing the piece was that none of the spaces could take a large audience. So how are we going to get, how are we going to do this thing? And what was the kind of structure could be used to um, to get people to engage with it? So the idea was that, um, the narrative idea was that the audience was unleashed on the street and you were given a task. Uh, you were looking for, um, it's a long story, there was basically a, a true story about a guy who died on the street. Um, the, the audience was looking for his will. Um, to be lost in the street and then when you do the street actors would grab you and pull you in and there was little rotating scenes happening in all the buildings so in different shows running back to back so the idea was kind of a choose your own adventure idea yeah. um, and that had kind of practical reasons really because that you couldn't fit a, a, a reasonable size audience you, you would have been limited by the size of your smallest building and mm. um, get in so this kind of freed us up to so there's one very loose overarching narrative and then all these small narratives going on in the middle buildings and little loops and so you could go from one to another and experience different things while there was other stuff happening on the street outside as well so you, you could you could hang around there and, and you could find your own way into the, into the story um, and that was a really um that was a real eye-opener as well in terms of structure i suppose that a lot of that had kind of come from looking at stuff like punch drunk in terms of how they kind of put their shows together as well and finding alternative um uh, structures uh, mm -hmm. to build your show, like you know. Um, but I, 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 for me, that whole experience, so sweet. <laughs> there was one lovely story that um, uh, one of the guys who comes to the cafe the year before, who Joyce and named John Lennon, uh, had come into the cafe and told us this story about um, uh, when when the other John Lennon died, uh, Power Drapers on the street had. She had produced these load of handknit jumpers, uh, navy jumpers with um, John Lennon in pink writing on them. And John Lennon's mother had bought one for him and made him wear it. And like he was 12 at the time. So this was a social suicide going around with this knitted jumper with his name on it. Like, you know, <laughs> and I just loved story. <laughs> um, so all our crew t shirts for the show um, just were, were blue jumpers with John Lennon on them in pink. Um, it was a story that didn't get into the show, but it became so all of the ushers and everything all were wearing John Lennon t shirts. But John Lennon ended up being in the show playing a different role in it as well. Like, all right. Yeah, so so each of the different buildings had their own John Lennon waiting outside them, and we, we, was, we would rotate each night. It was John Lennon's John Lennon. But um, but I suppose that again, that engagement. John Lennon is not the type of person you'd expect to find in a theatre show, but he's he's a commissioned member of Asylum now, like you know. Mm. Uh, and the other things with our next show. So again, it was that it was the people like that, and and Jimmy Cormack would give us the, the the Bradley's canvas in the first place. He had kind of resisted being in the show until about the week before, and I went back to Jimmy, we need a guard because it was a story about a guard chasing a bull on a bike that had come up as well. And Gary had decided we needed animals. So we got the youth theater and Kenny said, we need to be animals. We never work with children or animals. Um, and we were short of cars. Jimmy, we need to be a guard. And then with the uniform and everything. Initially, a week before, just gone to say, Jimmy, your job is just to chase the bull up and down the street. <laughs> so one of the youth theater was a bull, and Jimmy was on a bike going up and down every couple of minutes. Like, you know. But it was it, the structure of the show allowed us to get people in, even at Because basically, we were shutting down what it was effective at the time was the main street of the town, you know? Mm. And I think. The architecture side of things at the same time, um, they had come up with this beautiful idea of um, 
through working with us, they kind of be able to these stories talking to each other over the years, um, and the two sides of the streets talking to each other, and the relationships and the the, the economic uh, and cultural kind of stuff. And so this idea of, of reflecting one side of the building painted onto the other side. So you have the, the outline on the street on the other side. Um, and they designed it in such a way that um, the community would be involved in the painting. And some of it was intricate and some of it was just easy going and some of it was down low and stuff, stuff like So depending on your level of ability, you could engage in, in the paint job uh, at whatever level you want. Mm. And the, the street would down from four o'clock each day and people come down and start painting it um, and then in the evening we would, we would be rehearsing on the street as well so those two things were happening at the same time and there was a lot of people really engaging and then other people going this is a terrible inconvenience uh, in our small mm. town and what are you doing and, and the kind of the the there was antagonism on one side and, 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 and enthusiastic engagement on another. So it was that slow idea of, again, like bringing the kid in through the gate and six by Sunday. Was like, how do you get people in? How do you, if you make them part of the process, mm. then that becomes meaningful for them. A hell of a lot easier for us as well. Mm. Like, so it's like a constant way of, uh, whenever people arrive, poor John Morton, who was writing the script, like, you know, a week before, said, John, I've got three new people, and they all, can we write apart from them? Like, you know, and John is furiously at home at three in the morning <laughs> trying to write new scenes. <laughs> Hoping that nobody else shows up to complain, because they're going to end up in the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So another part, like, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it was very, but it, it, I remember maybe using the, 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 the phrase at one stage and it was like making work on shifting sand mm. because it was a street because all the buildings are different owners everything was constantly shifting i think there was a week to go when um we lost three um two of the buildings on the street we lost because the owner had suddenly decided that he wasn't comfortable we had insurance we had all those kind of things but he just said he wasn't comfortable so we had to abandon them literally a week to go and we had to mm. move those two seats to different buildings and it was only by chance i managed to find somebody else who actually owned a building it was one of the houses on the street that that we could never find the owner for uh, and i was driving down the street one day and uh, i just saw a guy putting a key in the door i literally stopped the car at the middle of the road and ran over to him within 10 minutes like i convinced him to give us the house <laughs> I was there to, I had to do a 10 minute summary of the entire project and what it was about and, and luckily he said yeah, okay uh, and literally do you, think, do you think he was afraid of you <laughs> like, <laughs> you come <laughs> running up I got this to fit this tree okay just take the house just take the house but what was amazing was he bought the house and and and, and he was living there. He, he had plans to develop it or whatever, do something. Mm -hmm. But you know, but the house was like incredible. You opened the door and it was completely trapped in the seventies. Everything about it, all the furnishings, all the paintwork, all the decorations. Oh, amazing. It was in the seventies, and it was just and literally this was maybe two weeks before we opened that we that, that this door finally opened. It had been a year trying to find out who owned it, like you know, mm. and it was absolutely. Extraordinary inside. So I told him, John, you have to write a scene about the 70s. <laughs> and Phil Linton's going to end up putting two scenes into that building. But again, that was the amazing idea of that, that, that idea of shifting sand and being able to respond to something as, as radical as that shift happening mm. under your feet, like, and, and be constantly responsive to so many different factors from health and safety to local engagement. But the local engagement was, was always the, the, the kind of biggie for us, I suppose, like, because. And the mission was over as well, like you know. So, um, if, if yeah, you, you can't.
can't make enemies, particularly if you're going to come back and do something, if you hope to come back and do something again. Like, you know. Well, yeah, let's, I mean, let's, let's talk about, you You did come back and um, you made the critically acclaimed and awarded um, the Big Chapel. Um, was, was that, like, could you have done the Big Chapel if you hadn't already done Six by Sundown and Bridge Street? Not a hope in hell. No, no, it really was, really was having, because we've been doing a lot of other stuff as well and, you know, with KCAT and doing various things during the festivals. It was a really lively local festival that ran in Callum for a number of years. It's inclusive arts festival that did all sorts of mad stuff, parades and stuff. And the Mockmas Parade went down the main street of Callum at one stage, um, mm. designed by the artists from KCAT. So there had been an awful lot of stuff um, that we were, I suppose, building on over the years and that kind of, engagement of the town on so many levels for so long um that it kind of allowed us to do that yeah but Aton, who had been the historian on on, um, on the last lot originally and then worked in six for sundown had been going on about the, the big chapel and the original real story and novel which we hadn't actually read i think it was about 10 years later uh, when after um after bridge street when she said like you know you really need to read this like you know and we had heard bits and pieces of it over the years, but we finally kind of sat down and read it and went, oh, wow, okay, yeah, we could, we could do something with this. Like, we could really do something with this. Um, and I suppose the level of ambition for the show, again, had built from, you know, starting with a, with a building and a site and then a street and then, okay, where do we go from here? Um, and the original plan had been to do it under the, the Capital of Culture bid for the Three Sisters bid, in part of that bid. Um, and when that didn't happen then there was kind of sense that it was sort of like going to be dead in the water but I suppose we kind of um, we kept plugging plugging on it and then eventually managed to get the Arts Festival and the Abbey to, to support it um, and then I managed to get those and I had been looking I had known Maura Keefe for quite a number of years just um, from my work and stuff and always been a big admirer um, and I went to her said will you, will you please produce this she didn't we, we, we wouldn't have known each other well or anything like that but um, right. who the hell are you and what <laughs> what do you want to do so she was utterly intrigued um and i said i've got, I've got the abbey <laughs> like, fish like, but these two giant fish i don't know what to do with them <laughs> and her first response was uh, don't do it uh, you need a year you need another year to do this and that was quite disappointing because i'd already had the thing ready for um, 2018, you know, I'm not ready, but, but kind of you know, I had sort of tests to prove that we would do it. She said, no, you can actually got to give this another year. And that was her first, and it was the best bit of advice, really, like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, was to tell us to kind of cool our guns, like, you know. Um, and then when, kind of, I suppose, when more came into the picture, it, it, it kind of allowed us to think a lot bigger about it as well, in terms of the scale and the ambition of it. Mm -hmm. um, and for her as well, I suppose, kind of, yeah, how we were approaching the, the work was fascinating for her, um, but also her kind of um, way of uh, of thinking strategically and, and, and uh, working harsh and stuff like that was was really key to making that possible as well. Like you know, mm. but uh, yeah, and then then we just went okay, this this story because the story of the big chapel briefly it, it goes back to a real life event that happened where there was a schism in in the church. Um, as a local priest basically sued his bishop um, and uh, was defrocked. Um, I won't go into the details, but really complicated, but it basically ended up with um, half the town siding with the parish priests. This is in the 1870s, went on for about four years, and mm. half the town with the bishop, and it ended up half the town going to one church and half going to the other. And every morning, every Sunday morning for about two years, there was riots in the streets. 
the case ended up almost bringing down the because it was on the brochure at the time. Um, it ended up being an avoid, long, complicated process, but it nearly brought down the British government twice. Uh, it was being discussed by the Pope in Rome. All is focused on this strange little battle between church and state, effectively, what it was. Um, and it had caused a division in the town that uh, had reverberated for years and years. I mean, there was people killed in riots or whatever, and the priest was originally, was eventually kind of torn out. There was a, it culminated in the chapel rackers, basically when uh, a mob basically descended on the church um, and tore the roof off it and burnt part of the, the priest's house out of the back of it and, 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 and tried to drive him out of the town for causing this division that had caused the local economy to collapse and everything. Um, and it was it was it was originally an argument about schools as the parish priest. This priest had been the, the manager of the schools. Mm. Anyway, the long complicated story that that division had kind of echoed, and there was people who said that that because for years afterwards the town had been divided by people who went to the church into the private point where people had forgotten why there was mm. still this kind of thing, sort of families against families for for, for several generations, and, and the older people would say, "Oh God, you couldn't be digging." And when Thomas Kilroy wrote the novel in the seventies, I mean, he had written the novel. Kind of looking at the whole notion of of, of um, sectarian violence in the north, but that was in his head, like that idea of people being so divided, um, and uh, but like the local reaction to the novel had been uh, they didn't want anything to do with it, basically, like, and most people uh, kind of dismissed it without even reading it. It wasn't it wasn't helped by the first line of the novel being uh, nothing remarkable had happened in the town before this, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and the, the novel had done really, really well. Um, mm. You know, I mean, it had been claims and all this, but, but um, it had been kind of sort of very much rejected. So the idea of doing it had always been kind of um, concerning. And we'd, we'd gone to a lot of people, went to the historical society, went to all, lots of different people saying, how do you think people are going to take up in this kind of worms? And I mean, you know, for generally speaking, like a lot of people wouldn't have a clue and they wouldn't, they wouldn't generally wouldn't care, but there was a few people there who kind of go, oh, you know, these are things that are best not spoken about. Like, you know, mm. but, uh, and eventually going to the parish priest, uh, and his, he didn't really have much interest in theatre, but um, he, um, uh, he said, most people don't even remember who my predecessor was, never mind who was parish priest back in, 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 in 1900. Yeah. Um, he was really fascinated by the history of it himself as well. Right. Um, Read Kilroy's novel and hated it because it was historically inaccurate. Um, right. <laughs> it's a novel, um, so that ends up being a really, really delicate debate. Like, again, mm. because the same church, and we knew that we had to use the church, or, or it would be kind of it would all be a bit, a bit meaningless. Like, you know, mm. um, so so getting that, and that was that that had gone on for about six or eight months trying to get us into the church. The one thing we had in our favor was that um, Neil Jordan had burnt a town. For breakfast in Pluto, because it was the church that was used in that, and, and there had been a bit of controversy with that at the time. Um, but I, I suppose New Jordan paid good money to burn it down, <laughs> but it was seen as okay in that context. It was okay in that context. This is a community theatre project, uh, but eventually it, we so there was a reluctance to let us in. But eventually they, we, we were allowed to do it and to use the church as part of it. But that was really interesting as well because again. It, the nature of the story and what we were doing was about, I was fascinated going up in, in Ireland with sort of the, the decline of the church and the notion of um, when I was going up, there was one hour a week where basically everyone, 
ended up in the same place in the churchyard, whether you're rich or poor, left wing, right wing, you know, whatever side of the tracks you were from, you were occupying the same space, you know. Um, and whatever your personal feelings about Roman Catholicism or religion in general, it was just this common space that was kind of, to me, my mind has been lost. Is where where is our church now? Where do we meet as a people? Where do we come together? And after I remember doing the warm ups, Bridge Street, and having eighty people in a circle couldn't fit the circle the street was too narrow and just make an egg um but the diversity of people in that circle to me felt like a kind of church and because we were all devoted to one thing to a really good show so I said, how do you recreate that like you know so it was the idea of recreating this temporary notion of church so the production almost became like a church where we would you know we would come together and and give thanks for life or whatever like you know I, I, it wasn't you know, I'll sit around and, and do kind of I don't, whatever. but it was really interesting that, that idea of getting people as diversity of people like we had people from 8 to 80 we, we started um, Cindy Cummins did we started a riot squad in the parish hall and they would come and, and, and basically um, choreograph and devise riots uh, <laughs> for an hour every Thursday for about two months beforehand like you know, mm. that started with four people and ended up with about 50 like you know and again that age grade and that, that mixture of abilities and mixture of backgrounds and mixture of, of people all together in one place kicking the living shit out of each other mm. every Thursday night in the interest of art uh, that to me was was what the production was about again there was an obligation on us as theatre artists to make the best show we possibly could but again with the number of people the experience of being part of that had to be uh, at least of equal value you know so all those times we, we, we had a lot of people who wanted to be involved but um but didn't want to act they wanted to sing so it's like, okay we've got to have a choir um so i mean luckily wrote an original score uh, for a choir of 40 people and originally they were only supposed to sing in the church but then gradually through rehearsals because i always wanted a, a sort of a, a roving greek chorus for the show like mm. they were most like older you know, their 60s and older even like you know, oh no that just want to come in and sing and again for the process would you maybe think of following the action and following the action. So by the end of it, they were literally, they, they went through the entire journey through the town as well, in the lashing rain. Someone's going to die of hypothermia in the middle of this production, like, you know, but once, you, once you open that gate and start that level of engagement, you kind of follow, follow it through, like, you know, whatever. But there was a lot of beautiful things that happened. I mean, the, the local girls' school were amazing. The original story of the Big Chapel, um, had revolved around the girls' school um, uh, and the girls' school that, that, that basically the priest had tried to import French nuns to start a school and had fallen foul of the bishop over it and, and that mm. was where the original building block had happened. But um, the existing girls' school, we kind of knew that we wanted that to be part of the show as well, which is the polar opposite side of the town. You can actually see when you can see the, the, the church from the school and vice versa. So those became the two kind of the pillars of the show. And I remember going into the principal, never met the one in my life, Mary O'Keefe, um, with a list of kind of, you know, uh, would it be possible to do this? Would it be possible to do this? And she said yes to absolutely everything. So by the end of it, Amazing. she had given us, handed us the keys to the school. Um, um, that became our production office, it became our audience mate, it became our front of house, um, became where all our indoor rehearsals were held. We literally had the school for three months, just the entire school, and whatever room we wanted. So again, that level of kind of, yes, you go uh, on with it. It was just amazing you know, uh, to have that. But again, I suppose that, that was that, that there was a thing that we had a bit of um, there was trust. You know, there was mm. trust from the community. Trust you built it up. 
yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was really a thing. I we didn't even realize that. I'd love to say it was like an intentional plan. We were going to do this, like you know, but it was. Uh, uh, yeah, it was all built on, on having those um, those relationships already. Like, you know. mm. Um, John, thanks, thanks very much for your time. Um, I just want to ask, like, how how has COVID nineteen uh, affected your work through this year, and um, and I suppose next year as well. <clears throat> It has certainly given us pause for thought. Um, we spent a lot of the last uh, few months kind of thinking about where do we go next. It was become fascinated by the idea of, like, I mean, we when moving to Kilkenny was was always. Uh, we moved. I moved. For, we both moved kind of for family and, and, and personal reasons. I may have worked in KCAT and stuff like that. Mm. The idea of having a theatre company in rural Ireland, how the hell was that going to work? Like, you know, could we continue to do the work we're kind of doing uh, on the same scale and still be in, in, in way out in the wilderness? So I suppose we're kind of thinking, well, what is the point of asylum? So that's a lot of where our thoughts have been going now. And um, so I've been doing a lot of kind of development on, on new ideas. We're talking to this amazing company called Slung Low in Leeds, who again are, are they're fairly radical, but again, they're looking at what is the point of them in, 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 in and they're obviously in an in inner city in, uh, context in, in, in the UK, but to be sort of similarities thinking. So we've got a bit of funding to, to work with them on the development of a show Borners the idea of bringing Callum on tour. We're looking at some sort of co-production where we can bring uh, some of their community cast here and ours over there, mm. and, and kind of taking some of the, the thinking that goes into what they do and, and how they come to the kind of ideas we have, and sort of maybe applying that to uh, Royal Ireland. We've been offered a space in, in Callum as well, um, actually in the workhouse. Funny back to where we started from. So we're looking at um, maybe kind of stewarding that space and making it a, a, a sort of a community resource for I said we're looking at all those kind of things so it, it's really given us an opportunity to, to sort of think about our, our place in the world um, uh, so we've got a couple of kind of projects cooking up over that so there's a lot of kind of R&D kind of stuff and um, we're also looking at um, after I suppose Big Chapel was really about the kind of the decline of the church as a, as a kind of a, a part of social fabric and one of the other big pillars has been the pub and sort of the decline of the rural mostly rural, but certainly rural pubs but just in pubs in general like you know and again you know that's it's probably a healthy thing that there's slightly less pubs i grew up in a town that had 53 pubs for we <laughs> did not need 53 pubs it was not a good healthy sign you know but yet uh, again as that kind of cultural social hub what are we what are we replacing it with like you know so that's one of the things we're looking at we're kind of developing a show called the local around the, the, mm. the, the history of the place and the pub and Irish culture and society so lots of interesting ideas and I suppose imposed time to try and figure them out in a way it's been kind of um, the timing has been okay you know um, uh, and that's yeah it's obviously there's there are challenges and difficulties but I suppose good theatre doesn't come without challenges or difficulties so you know I think when we didn't have any challenges and difficulties we'd be producing shite so <laughs> yeah um absolutely listen thanks a million for chatting to me and I look forward to seeing what, what you come up with next um yeah uh thanks very much pleasure cheers Don. thanks man. so uh thanks to Donald for conversation um thanks to the Arts Council for supporting this Thanks to uh, Pepe the Cat for chipping in 
and uh, to astronaut Mike Dexter for composing the music. On the next episode, I'll be speaking to Maeve Lambert. Thank you.